Welcome to Chapter 6 of the Jesus Adventure, a study in the spirituality training system of Jesus of Nazareth. In this chapter, which completes Section 2, The Walk of Jesus, we're discovering how Jesus leads us to cross over with the overcoming power of complete trust in Him as we begin to discover the experience of His victory that He gives us on the adventure. As always, we start by honoring and inviting God to teach us with a prayer. Our Father in heaven, your wisdom is rich, your judgments are unsearchable, your paths can only be traced by those whom you love. Your holy name is majestic, and we praise you, Father. Please give us the trust to follow Jesus, even as following him seems to challenge our natural minds and requires faith from your Spirit. Lead us to that victorious kind of living that comes from complete trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're glad you've come this far. This is where things get really interesting. This is what separates the true apprentices from the pretenders. If you haven't come through the first five chapters, we encourage you to start from the beginning. Before tackling this chapter, this is where Jesus calls us to take steps beyond our comfort zone into places that only he knows the way through. But being empowered and prepared to do that is what chapters one through five are all about. Well, folks, here we go. This is Adventure Onward, Crossing Over by Faith. Now, in Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41, we have this story. And and the, the summary verse is where Jesus says, let's cross over to the other side. And that's what we're speaking about right now. In this step of the Jesus adventure is we're learning to cross over from where we were to where God is taking us. So going forward, we'll be riding boldly on the great adventure. As we take the steps and follow what Jesus reveals, we are well on our way into this next stage of the adventure. We're now ready to see God take us through and do impossible things with us and for us. Jesus has already prepared the next steps, and his Father is setting the stage for us. This is where following truly becomes a bold and daring adventure. We want to remember that everything we need for success in this life on the amazing adventure is, as an apprentice of Jesus, is available to us by seeking and trusting in Jesus himself. This trusting is what the Bible calls faith, but our culture misunderstands what the Bible means by faith. So we'll cover this in detail so that when we're challenged or tempted, we can know how to get the victory. The real victory is always assured when we are seeking and trusting in Jesus himself. Unfortunately, this is where many people quit. Yes, most people stop right here and never discover what God has prepared. So they struggle to go forward in their walk with Jesus because they get paralyzed by fear or caught up in the superficial things of the world. This was true of many of the original people who initially followed Jesus while he was here on earth, and it's frequently true of people who are following him today. However, those who trust him and move forward are never the same, and they never look back. Because once you cross over and find the real work of God happening, your new life becomes enlarged and you can't fit into the old life anymore. Once you find the victorious power of the crossing, the old life just doesn't even interest you anymore. So God has so much more planned than we can imagine. There are things that most people never see, and we don't want to miss it. This is the real life. We're the kind of adventurers with hungry hearts who are willing to dare God to do what he has said he will do. That's right. We take courage and we move forward daringly because God has already promised things, so we act on those promises. And it's important for you to personally pray right now and ask God for the courage to go forward. 
Seriously, this is a moment when you want to stop and pray. Something like this. Lord Jesus, please give me the courage to trust you and take faithful steps forward in my life, however you lead. Now, Jesus repeatedly taught that with God, all things are possible, but people usually only see the limitations of life. By the time we're adults, we have often learned that this life is filled with seemingly impossible situations, and we feel powerless to change most of it. Many people give up, convinced that the difficult things in life cannot change at all. But as apprentices of Jesus, we see the ways of the Spirit, and we know from Jesus that with God, all things are possible. With childlike faith, so many have overcome such great, incredible odds, and we too can face the impossible because we have a God who is greater than all things. We have a God who promised to bring us through terrible situations by activating in faith. Now, what is that faith? It is acting on the calling and the instruction of the Lord Jesus because we know his character and we expect him to do what he promises. The key is learning what he calls us to do and what he promises then moving forward without being enslaved by fear. Now, we see in this passage that Jesus had a destination and a plan. So we're talking about crossing over with trust. Jesus leads us out from the busy crowd. He calls us to take a new journey of faith that trusts in God's promises and character, even if we have to start alone. Sometimes that journey can look ordinary to start with, and it may even be very familiar to us. But with Jesus, nothing is ever ordinary for long, and that's okay because he is with us in the ordinary things and in the challenging things. Now, in the Gospel of Mark, we see the simple boat ride across the Sea of Galilee rocked his apprentices to their core. It tells us in Mark 4.35, again, that evening Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side. So before we dig into what happened next, it helps to see what was happening just before then. You see, men had come claiming they wanted to follow Jesus and learn from Jesus, and they came to him and they volunteered, which sounds great, right? More volunteers. Yeah, man. Jesus had been teaching and healing people all day by the shore, and it was attracting crowds. It was getting a lot of attention in the neighborhood. Then a couple guys come up, looking just like they were ready to be his next apprentices. But Jesus dealt with them in a fascinating way. So it says, a teacher of the law of Moses came up to him and said, Teacher, I'll go anywhere with you. Sounds great, right? Well, Jesus replied to him and said, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have a place to call his own. Wow, that immediately turned this guy off, because those teachers were well paid, and they had very comfortable lives. Traveling around as an itinerant minister, living in a tent, yeah, that didn't really appeal to him. So he immediately bailed out. Well, it says, another disciple said to Jesus, Lord, let me wait till I bury my father. And Jesus answered and said, come with me and let the dead bury their dead. See, the father wasn't actually dead yet. If he was, the dude would be at home preparing his father for burial that day instead of listening to Jesus teach. It was required of the law of Moses. So Jesus was saying that the business of the kingdom of God is happening now, today. Come along and let the rest of it sort itself out. Make a choice to be fully on board or realize that you're not. You see, neither of these guys went with Jesus on the next leg of the journey that day. And this is what's important because across the Sea of Galilee, there were things to do. Jesus had a purpose for going. And only the ones 
who were committed to the adventure, went with him to the other side. They alone saw the amazing, miraculous events that would follow, and the journey, though short, was truly miraculous. And this is the way it works. When God calls and we answer with trust, he takes us to amazing things that other people miss. Now, when I was first learning to follow Jesus, he essentially did this with me. He told me, he said, that I would see things that others were going to miss just by following him. And that's the way it is. Most people are too busy with things that are part of this temporal world to discover the things of the eternal world. Now, can I urge you not to be like that? I'd like to just urge you right now to make a decision to follow Jesus and discover his incredible adventure. He has something, probably many things, special just for you that no one else can do. Take the steps, trust in Jesus, and let the temporal stuff of this world work out in his timing. Be willing to get uncomfortable just a little bit. Got faith? Many people once started out to follow Jesus, but gave up when it became uncomfortable or inconvenient. Some still go to church, but many don't. Others want to start, but only if they can squeeze God into their plans. And then some start, but give up when storms arise. Many times people doubt and question as soon as a challenge comes into their life, or as soon as a friend challenges their decision. They start out to take the adventure with Jesus, but then they quit because of fear, worry, doubt, or peer pressure. And guess what? Those people always miss what God has planned. They don't experience what God is doing. They don't see the adventure. They don't witness the majesty of Christ's authority over nature. They doubt God's involvement in the events of this world. And worst of all, they don't believe those who do see it and who do experience it. Now, I have a dear friend who once led people and taught the Bible, but he was never comfortable with the idea of the miraculous intervention of God in his life. He never quite took the steps of faith to really dare God to do what he promises, and he never took the steps that God promised, if you do thus, I will honor that. In other words, he didn't have faith. Eventually, my friend walked away from Christ because he never exercised true faith. It was all intellectual for him. He never experienced the power of God at work. Well, this event also is revealed to us in Matthew uh, chapter 8, verse 18 to 27. And it says that after Jesus left in a boat with his disciples, a terrible storm suddenly struck the lake and waves started splashing into their boat. But Jesus was sound asleep. So the disciples went over to him and woke him up and they said, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. But Jesus replied, why are you so afraid? You surely don't have much faith. Then he got up, and he ordered the wind and the waves to calm down. And suddenly, everything was calm. And the men in the boat were amazed and said, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, those disciples of Jesus were in a scary situation. The storm was sudden and severe, so that even these experienced fishermen were afraid. The sea was coming into the boat faster than they could bail it out. But do you know what really bothered them? Jesus was asleep. Something they forgot is Jesus said he was going to the other side. Jesus was on a mission from God. Jesus was confident and knew that his father would not let him drown. Jesus was at peace. He was at peace because he knew that God was in control. Jesus had no doubt that he was going all the way across the Sea of Galilee that night. How about you? Are you experiencing storms? 
Here's how you can know if God will carry you across those storms. Are you doing what God called you to do? Guess what? The devil sends storms to oppose you. Storms are actually normal for the Christian life, and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. That's right. The devil can do that, and he wants you to be afraid. He wants you to quit. But Jesus wants you to be strong, not relying on your own self, but trusting entirely in God. He wants you to have the strength of the Spirit that only God can give you. Storms of life are coming, friend. Jesus has the power to calm them or make you strong enough to survive them. When we believe him, we don't give in to fear. We are those who do believe, and because of who we believe, we overcome. It's not about blind faith. It's about trusting in the faithfulness of the Lord our God, the known, demonstrated, proven faithfulness of our God and his promises. We want to ask ourselves, who is in charge here? See, the most important thing we can remember in our adventure is that God is in control. He oversees all things that affect his people, and he will accomplish his purposes when we have committed to follow his leading. God does not promise anything to those who reject him but judgment. But for those who trust him, as apprentices of Jesus, we learn to trust completely in God's presence and providence, his ability to provide whatever we need. God says of these things, and this is quoting from Isaiah 46, verse 10, God says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my plan will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. See, that's the voice of God, friends. Yes, he's speaking through the prophet, but it's God speaking. So whatever we're facing, God is committed to taking us beyond the storm. You're not facing anything too big for God right now. And you may be facing something very big for you, but it's not too big for God. Everything that seems to stand in your way is less than a drop of rain to him. He loves you, and if you're willing to trust him, the most exciting things in your life are just beyond the storm. The Father absolutely favors those who trust in his Son. He wants to give you perfect peace and deliver you from turmoil to strength. He wants to take your anxiety and turn it into calm confidence. There are no accidents with God. Even what seems to be chaos or created by an evil force, God will take and use for the benefit of those who trust him and are called by him for his purposes. Because he loves you, and if you love him, he knows that. We'll discover more about that later in this chapter, because that's exactly what happens in this situation. This is important for all of his apprentices. God will not fail to accomplish all of his purposes in us when we're trusting him. We can trust him for that. We can even expect it and dare God to do what he has promised. I know that sounds crazy. It sounds very different from what you may have been taught or raised with if you grew up in a religious environment, but God actually wants you to dare him to do what he's promising to do. When we're obeying his call and doing his will, he will do what it takes to complete his plans. So the question is, what is the call? What is his will? And what are those plans? It all comes down to following Jesus. Staying in relationship with Jesus and going where he goes, doing what he does, being his apprentice and living out his call is where we find all of that. The plans are unique for each of us, but there is one consistent central purpose from God. He conforms us to the image and the likeness of his son, Jesus, and he works through us to help others the same way. This is the way of Jesus. You see, Jesus was teaching them to trust in his word. He was not trying to cross the sea. He was crossing it. 
This is so essential. He had a purpose on the other side, and he stated it. I'm going to the other side. We are called to believe God will do what he says he will do. If they had trusted in God's word, if they had held it tightly, they would remember that it says in Psalm 56, 3, Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. See, that's what Jesus was questioning them about. Where's your faith? You know that psalm. Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. By the way, that's a very good thing to memorize and hold in your heart for whenever you face challenges. Meaning that we can always know that God is in charge. God is overseeing things. If he called us to the other side, he will get us to the other side. You see, God makes a promise to his people, and this is from Isaiah 43 too. It says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. Now, what storms, floods, fires, or scorching do you face? God has promised that he will be with you, even if it looks like you will lose. God promises to take all things and make them work out for good for those who trust him and have answered his call and purposes. Yes, we will face storms. We will face challenges. And yes, we will overcome them because he's with us. You may be asking, are you sure this applies to me? Well, yes. If you've answered God's call, if you have humbly trusted Jesus to be your master and redeemer, if you believe that he is the only one that can set you right with the Father, if you are walking with him and learning to be his apprentice, then yes, I believe confidently that God will absolutely be with you in the storms of life and bring you through them. This is the testimony of so many people through the ages and many whom we know today. Now, a little personal story that I'd like to share with you about that. One beautiful summer day, several years back, I went out with my growing family on a pleasure, a pleasure craft, a type of motorboat on a large lake in the mountains in the western United States. It was a beautiful day, lots of fun. We had kids with us, and there were several adults in the boat. And then clouds quickly, suddenly closed in on, on us during the late afternoon, and we had no idea what was coming next. It grew dark and windy very suddenly, and lightning struck the lake. The boat's electrical system stopped working. The waves got very large, and we were swamped in the boat. We didn't have a bucket to bail out the water, and what do you do? It's dark, it's almost like night, and we were suddenly all alone on this water by ourselves, with kids who didn't know how to swim. Lightning is still striking all around us. It was very easy to feel panicked. In fact, the shouting in the boat started happening almost immediately as we were trying to bail out, and that is bail the water out of the boat. And it wasn't happening. There was no way to get the water out, and we were up to our ankles very quickly. Then we prayed. Now, my wife and I simultaneously called out to God out loud, Lord Jesus, we need help. It's nothing fancy, nothing flowery, just simple, fast, urgent. Lord, help us. Now, we weren't on any mission from God or anything. We had no agenda of reaching people for Jesus that day. We were just a family of believers having a day of fun together out on a lake. But the situation was urgent and desperate. And as we sat in that boat, getting swamped by waves on a dark lake with no one else around, it seemed pretty scary. Now, my wife is a praying woman. She mostly prays silently, sometimes openly, about all things all the time. Mostly, I think she prays that I'll get with the program. But prayer is a regular part of her life. So when she calls out, Lord, help, I think God pays a little extra attention, just a little quicker maybe than some. And at that moment, after we prayed, a spotlight from across the lake shined on us. 
like, bam, just right out of the darkness across the lake, somebody put a very bright spotlight on us. And we started waving and calling out urgently. And a high-powered boat cranked up and came across to us. And we explained that the lightning had taken out our power and we were getting swamped. Now, bear in mind, there's still big waves going on in the lake at that moment. Well, they threw us a bucket to bail us out, to bail water out with, and they threw over a tow line, and they pulled us into the docks. Now, by the time we got to the docks, the waves and the wind and the lightning had stopped. And I'm confident that at that point, when they got to us, we would have had the boat sink before they got us back. We would have potentially had the complete thing filled with water. But we asked them how they knew we needed help. And they said, well, we heard the horn. Didn't you blow a horn? We said, no, our boat's electrics were dead. We don't have a signal horn. Well, they said, is there another boat out in the lake? We said, no, there's no other boat. You see, it was God who got their attention from across the dark lake because we trusted him and we prayed. Despite being cold and wet, we were all fine. We were all saved. But folks, in the moment, it didn't seem that way. It seemed exactly the opposite. And the point I'm making here is, is that even though we weren't on some great mission for God, we're God's people. And God answered our call. Well, Psalm 107 says, Those who go down to the sea in ships, those who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. It says, He calms the storm so that its waves are still. That's Psalm 107, verses 21 to 26, and verse 29 in the King James Version. So we see that this is the context of when Jesus was saying to them, Why were you afraid? Don't you have any faith? The apprentices of Jesus knew this psalm very well. They had sung it in synagogue, and many of them had read it in their Bibles. They probably even had it memorized. And this is the challenge to us. Go forward in whatever God calls us to, trusting his word, his character, and his presence will be with us. Face challenges with faith in God. Trust that he is able and present, and when it seems impossible, know that God will make all things possible. Praying and seeking him is the key. It's not just for emergencies. It's a lifestyle. This is how we face the challenges that we encounter with faith in our God, faith in our Savior. Yes, Jesus wants us to know this applies to us. This is why it was written, so that we can discover that even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we have authority over the spiritual forces of evil. As it says, I shall fear no evil, for you are with me. Folks, Jesus was in the boat with them, and they were afraid. You might be afraid in life right now, but realize Jesus is in it with you. When we have Jesus with us, we can't be defeated by any evil. We can trust the Father to make a way for us through whatever comes at us, even until the day he takes us home. Now, there's a skill of traveling by faith. It comes by exercising faith as we travel, in the little things along the way. In other words, it grows with experience. It can also be lost by getting complacent. So we want to learn to live in a faith-filled way as we experience all things. And Jesus always calls us to do things that are bigger than ourselves. Why? Well, if you could do it in your own ability, it wouldn't be God's work, it would be yours. So he leads you to do things that require you to call on him for help. 
A lot of very religious people would never believe that God gives us authority to calm storms. Let's remember that it wasn't only Moses that he gave power to part the Red Sea, but he also gave Joshua, Moses' apprentice, the power to part the Jordan River. Let's remember that it wasn't just once that Jesus sent his disciples into fierce storms, but at least twice. And the second time, when Jesus was walking on water, Peter also walked on water. And let's remember that Jesus promised to be with us until the end of the age, and that he promised he would be, we would be able to do the same things and even greater things than he did. The message here is that God wants to do the impossible for us and through us. He wants to take us into situations where we discover that it is God doing the work, not ourselves. He wants us to realize that we are dependent upon him. And this is the beautiful thing. God, who created the universe, wants to work through us while he works in us. Do you remember when we covered in the first section that Jesus calls us to be his partners? It's true. That's what it means to follow him. If you remember, we talked about that. I think it was section two. And what he wants us to discover is that we will have his power, his leading, his authority when we're relying on him. Because if we could do it ourselves, it wouldn't be God's work. It would be our work. And God gets pretty passionate about people realizing that it's his work, not the work of people. If people could do it themselves, then it's not genuinely the Spirit of God. He wants us to realize that he is the source of the power we need, even if no one else does. For those who are willing to trust him and do his will, he always has something new and amazing for us. Now, I'm convinced that he doesn't waste his wonders and deliverance on hardened hearts, and that he never does exactly the same things twice. So when we believe God, he shows up, and that is always exciting. People talk about having great faith, and I believe that's nonsense. God wants our humble willingness, not some super amount of faith. He wants hearts that are humble, not boasting. There's no power in our amount of faith. There's power in the God whom we trust. The only question is, are we willing to be used of God? Yes? Well, good. If so, he's going to ask you to do things that require you to trust him. The more consistently that you learn to trust him and operate on that trust, the more he's going to work through you. This is where really amazing stuff begins to happen in your life. This is where you see real power of God stuff happen that will blow your mind. And when you realize that it has to be him at work, not you, it gets pretty exciting. Now, as it says in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, Not by force, nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And in Second Samuel 22, verse 33, it says, God is my strength and power, and he makes my way perfect. You see, God's kindness and favor is enough for all we need. His strength is proven by our weakness. This is why Jesus mostly calls folks who are broken nobodies in one way or another to be his apprentices. He doesn't pick many great and powerful people. And usually when he does, he has to humble them a lot before he can work through them. So because of that, we can absolutely revel and rejoice in our inabilities. That's right, in our inabilities, because that is what demonstrates the power of Jesus, the Christ, is working in us. The power of Messiah is working in us. Wherever you are, whoever you are, no matter what kind of life you come from, however bad or broken it may have been, if Jesus is calling you, 
that he wants you and he wants to delight in you, showering his power on you and in you and through you. He wants to call you out from the crowd, away from the noise and distractions, so that he can show you his Spirit's work and make you an instrument of his power. Rest in that. Trust in that. Depend in that. Because that's where the real adventure happens. So what is God's plan? What is his will for us today? We want to remember what Jesus said at the end of his ministry as he was preparing to complete and leave. He said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, as you go, disciple people in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and remember, I am with you each and every day until the end of the age. Again, that's Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. Now, generally, this is called the Great Commission. Sometimes people get stuck on that idea, though, as though this is some extra calling. But that is not how Jesus intends it. This is the fulfillment of the whole calling. As, I, as they say where I grew up, this is the whole enchilada. There's not two classes of apprentices. I can't stress this enough. There are apprentices, and there are those who reject the call of the apprentice. The most normal instinct for a new apprentice is to share the bread of life with other starving travelers. If a person isn't eager to share the message to people they know, I wonder if they really understand it. Now, you may say, I'm just getting started following Jesus. I'm not some super saint. And that's true. None of us are or ever will be. But remember, this calling has to be bigger than ourselves or it wouldn't be God at work. Many of us reached our first people, our first own apprentices that we've reached before we'd even been following Jesus for a year. This is how we know it's God at work, not ourselves. All we did was witness of the goodness of God and the power of Jesus to save us. God did the work. God was the real witness. And even though we were only his instruments, he reached people through us. So let's break out this instruction of what Jesus is saying here in today's language. Jesus is saying he has a full authority from God to fulfill the plan which he is still focused on for the world today. And that is leading people to be redeemed from the authority of the chaos of the prince of darkness. Now that's according to John chapter 3, verses 3 to 16. This is the priority and nothing else compares. There is nothing you will ever do that is as important as participating in that plan. He's telling us that the game plan is teaching all people everywhere to become his apprentices, to make that the mark of their life, to start life anew, to have a new allegiance, and mark that new life and that new allegiance with baptism. The full authority of the Son of God, who is approved by the Father and the Spirit, comes to be involved in that work with us. He's also telling us that it's a whole package. Again, it's a whole enchilada. Everything he has taught is for each new apprentice, and that this whole package is what we will ultimately be involved in with us, or he will be involved in with us, guiding us as we go every day until the end. So he's also saying that he will personally be involved, personally working with us, personally through us in this calling every day until the very end of this age, the end of the age of God's kindness. So do you see how that sandwiches the instructions? Jesus is saying at the beginning it's his authority, and he's saying at the end that he's personally involved. Although some people believe that this instruction is just for elite emissaries, the original 12 apprentices, or just for people who have seminary degrees, Jesus doesn't give us that option. 
When he says, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you or instructed you, he is encapsulating the whole body of all of his teachings and said they are for all apprentices, for all times, until he returns. Because he has said it's until the very end of the age. So please understand, that includes today and every day until Jesus comes to take his people home with him. So don't let anyone deceive you into thinking this is not for you. Yes, this is a high calling. It's a grand adventure. It's a distinct privilege to be a co-worker in the plans of heaven. But that high calling is a high calling that everyone is called to. Everyone who is called to be a follower of Jesus is called to that high calling, to that grand adventure, to that distinct privilege to be that co-worker in the plans of heaven, which we've been offered a role as participants. And we're also to be rewarded for the work. Yes, only a select group of people are given this privilege. Those who have heard the call and who have chosen to follow Jesus, willingly submitting to him as our master trainer. But let's be clear. It's not just for people with a seminary degree or some title. This calling is for all who will hear God's voice and obey his son Jesus, our great shepherd. So we're talking about crossing over with heaven's power. And again, Isaiah in chapter 40, verse 28 and 29 is giving us this calling. He's saying, Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. So God is committing his power to those of us who are willing to take this call of Jesus. He's willing to do for us what we cannot do in our own strength. This is how he's always done it. Think of any Bible character you can remember or think of. Noah, Abraham, Moses, Joshua, King David, Rahab, Ruth. What about Mary and Joseph? None of them knew what God would do through them until they were willing to step out and trust him. It's when we activate our faith by doing his word that we become confident and empowered. All of them accomplished the work of God in their days by his power. Through Jesus, God is making this common to everyone, available to ordinary people like you and me. In the days before Jesus, there were few exploits of faithful people. They were, they were rare. They were not common. But through Jesus, God now wants to make every one of us an operator of his power, his light. So he leads us to follow him and in the process, ask for his empowerment. Now, Jesus has given us his commitment that we can ask him for things that we need, and he commits to do it. Because he said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. That's Matthew 7, verse 7. And he also said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's John chapter 14, verse 14. Now, many personalities will make this about our fleshly, mortal minds and what we think is important, like money, comfort, power, fame, whatever. But God has a different agenda, friends. We learn from Jesus that he puts the highest priority on the things that matter the most. And that makes sense, right? Because Jesus says this, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. So let's be clear what Jesus is saying. He is going to answer the first priority matters in the first place without failing 
to meet our needs along the way. He's also telling us in Matthew chapter 19, verse 29, that anyone who chooses sacrificial faithfulness, quote, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Now, if we think of those original 12, we realize they made enormous sacrifices for the work of Jesus. But they also had, in the days of their lives, many blessings that just can't be quantified. Not only did they see the incredible miracles of Jesus, but they also had their own needs met along the way and then became pillars of the work of God in their days. Leaders whom hundreds and thousands of people followed along with to learn about Jesus. The original apprentices, once they became Jesus' emissaries, could go into any city that that Jesus' people had gone to and be received by the followers of Jesus. Imagine being welcomed into a home in every city you could ever go to, having your needs met, being given the place of honor. That's what happened for them. Yes, they also suffered. We want to understand that. There is suffering involved in this, right? But life has suffering. It's unavoidable. We've all seen people suffer whether they follow Jesus or not. You know, following Jesus doesn't make you immune to suffering, um, but it certainly means God will deliver you in ways that are very amazing through suffering, apart from suffering, before suffering, whatever. Right? People are going to suffer. That's, That's a given in this life. I mean, I know some very rich people who have massive amounts of money yet are lonely and they still suffer, right? Would you rather be one of those 12 and have the honor and promises of God and then be welcomed into eternal realms or have wealth and power for a season here, maybe avoid some suffering, but wind up being cast out by God at the judgment? See, eternity is a lot more vast than we can comprehend. God is calling us to be his partners in his work, both in us and through us, and he commits to give power to us to do it. And that's the amazing thing. That's the amazing grace of God. That's how wonderful and incredible our God is, that he offers us to do something so carefully intricate and involved in his kingdom and commits power into our lives to do that. At this step, let's take a look at crossing over by faith in review. We want to read Revelation chapter 2, verse 26, where God promises, Jesus promises, he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end to him. I will give power. Well, is it just about doing mission or church work? No. Yes, because every step we take is the mission. We are the church everywhere we go. Church isn't a building. Church is a people. Church is a power of God working in this world. So, you see, our whole lives are a living sacrifice. The only question is, to whom? Who is getting the glory and praise of what we do with our lives? To what and whom are we dedicated? When Jesus died for us, it was to redeem us and save us from the current brokenness of the rebellion, from the chaos of the prince of darkness, and from the future costs of harvesting the misdeeds of the old rebel life, from the ultimate consequences of our rebellious sin, which is the judgment of condemnation. See, he wants us to pass from death to life. He wants us to pass from condemnation to commendation. In other words, he wants to reward and praise you for your faithfulness. And he wants to help you to be faithful so that you can be rewarded. So how can that be? Well, he transforms us. He's all about giving us an entirely new life, 
A huge part of that transformation is that we have to learn how to travel this journey of this life with these new resources, with new power to live, with new hope for the destiny. That all comes to us from heaven, from the very hand of God, by faith, when we activate by doing His Word. God teaches us how to access His power for living on a daily basis by crossing over from using our resources to using God's. And this is the entire point of why they crossed over the lake that day. Every day, every step, every part of life is a faith journey if we're following Jesus. Accessing His power is amazing. It's phenomenal. It's mind-blowing. And yet for the apprentices of Jesus, it becomes ordinary. That's right. Miracles actually become common when you're living by faith, which again, as I have said, is all about being a doer of his word. Our lives then become bold, living sacrifices, testimonies of the kindness and power of God, because we're able to do things that others cannot do, because they aren't accessing the spirit of God the way we are. And in that way, your every breath becomes part of God's mission in the world. We each become a living stone of the living temple, the gathering of Jesus, building up into an active living piece of ministry to all those who are still, like we once were, blind and in darkness. You see, the old system of holy buildings is over long, long ago. And what God is about is building up people. His building today, his temple in this time, are the people who trust in Jesus and follow him wherever he leads. He literally doesn't care about stones and stained glass. I know that will make many people very offended by hearing that, but I promise you that Jesus isn't offended by it. How can I say that? Well, history shows it, but also prophecy tells us that every building on this planet is going to be shaken down. Every artifact of this world will burn. Only what Christ has received and blessed will stand, and that, my friends, is the people that he's redeemed. But that is a study for another time. So as we wrap this up, we're going to just conclude on letting the power of God rest on us. And there are three keys. One, ask. Two, the authority. And three, the priority. Okay, so we're doing a quick review as we wrap this up. Jesus has given us his commitment that we can ask him for things that we need. And he commits to do it because he said in Matthew 7, verse 7, we already read this earlier. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. This is the process. It's an acronym that starts with ask, so it's easy to remember. Ask, always ask, seek, and knock. In other words, you're seeking God's interaction, God's involvement. You ask him, you seek out the answer, and you're doing that, expecting answers, and you get insistent and urgent. You're seeking it. You're knocking for it. That's the knocking part, right? That urgency. God answers when he knows you're serious. You're not just messing around in a half-hearted way. That's the knocking. That's the urgency that's involved. And if you have an effectual, urgent prayer, and you're faithful in that prayer, God's going to answer it. Now, he said in John chapter 14, verse 14, as we covered earlier, if you ask anything in my name, Jesus will personally oversee this if we're trusting him. We have to recognize that this requires a faith trust, a kind of dependent trust on him that says, I'm not going to ask people or depend on me because it's all about his authority. He's not just our teacher. He's king over all the earth. We're calling out to Jesus personally to solve, to provide, to meet this need because he has the authority to do that. Then we trust his will to do it in his way and in his timing. 
We hold on to that promise, and we don't try to manipulate the solutions we expect Jesus to answer, and we wait on him. And we learn from Jesus that he puts the highest priority on the things that matter the most, right? We covered that before, and that makes sense, right? Because Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Again, that's Matthew 6, verse 33. So let's be clear that Jesus is saying he is going to answer the first priority matters first, without failing to meet our needs along the way. He's telling us, as we discovered earlier, that anyone who chooses sacrificial faithfulness for his name's sake will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. In other words, he rewards the sacrifices. There's so much more available to us in this life than we realize if we'll just recognize that God is willing to provide it through our trust, by faith in him. It gets pretty exciting as we see this happen. Now, when you discover that God himself is personally involved answering your needs, that you didn't tell anyone else, it gets really exciting because we realize that this authority of Jesus is being given to us. We just have to seek him and ask him for it. And he loves to do that. He will at times provide something in advance even, and you just happen to get it together at the very moment you pray, right? You're just praying now, but for some time ahead of that, Jesus has put all of the things in motion and it happens to come to pass right as you're praying. But you'll find that he has also been putting these pieces together in many things long before what we seek or what we need. And it blows your mind as this happens. And he loves that. You see, God wants you to know that he's personally involved in it with you. So he answers prayer uniquely every time. This is what we find is that God never does everything the same twice. And as we conclude this, our adventure principle is this. Jesus wants us to walk in his authority and his power so that we can experience his ability to do greater things than we've ever seen. And our meditation comes from John chapter 12, verse 25, where Jesus says, Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. So if we meditate on that, we want to understand there's something very profound Jesus is teaching in that passage right there. And we want to hold on to that and meditate on that, how Jesus works through calling us out to do the impossible and then expecting him to intervene. This is concluding section two of the Walk with Jesus, chapter six, crossing over by faith of the Jesus adventure. We hope you'll join us for chapter 7 coming next.